0: Really nice to be back with you on Zoom in in Moody's Burn and still sad that I can't be there in person. Um, And if I'm looking away from, if it looks like I'm looking away from the camera, I'm actually looking at you on my screen. So uh, I'm sorry about that. My eyes don't quite know where to look, but um, I guess I should try and look at the camera if I can. Anyway, I, I... Last time that I was um, speaking, or the last time that we looked at the Bible together, at least when I was with you, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, and we looked at verse 1, 2, and 3, and, and today I, I would like to just look at Hebrews 11, verse 4. So I'd like to read that to you, and then I'll read um, from Genesis chapter 4, which is the the basis of the, the verse or the background text of Hebrews 11, verse 4, if that makes any sense. So the passage then uh, today is really Hebrews eleven four. 4. This is what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. And then through which, that's through his faith, he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. And then if you you are following the reading, let's pop over to Genesis chapter 4, which tells us the story of Cain and Abel or Abel and Cain. But I guess we're used to saying Cain and Abel. Cain being the older brother and Abel being the younger. Genesis 4 verse 1. So Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Well, um, let me uh, then try and draw your uh, thoughts for a while to this passage of Scripture, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4, primarily. So the book of Hebrews was written to a group of second-generation Christians. Um, They had come from a Jewish background or a Hebrew background, hence the title of the book, Hebrews. some of them, it would appear, had found themselves wavering in the things of faith. Some of them were wondering if Christ was worth it, if Christ was enough, and uh, some of them had gone back on professions of faith that they had earlier made and had gone back to the synagogue. They were feeling the pressure of being ostracized. Um, they were feeling by by their Jewish friends. They were feeling isolated. And some of them were really wavering when it came to faith in Christ. And of course, in this chapter, the writer to the Hebrews is really dealing with what it means to be full of faith. So he began the chapter by looking at what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for, and it's the conviction of things unseen. So it's the, it's that inner belief in something which is unseen and not just an inner belief, but it's a conviction. It's something that shapes us and shapes the way that we live and the direction that we go on. And now what the writer does for his readers is he provides this list of Old Testament examples of people who who, who possessed enduring faith. And he wants his readers to emulate these heroes of faith. He wants them to emulate, to follow the example of these characters. Now, it's interesting that he gives us really like a sweep of history as he digs around for examples of faith. So he goes to scripture for his illustrations, which is interesting, might even be a lesson there. I I don't know. He he doesn't really talk about having coffee with his wife. He digs in the Old Testament when he's looking for uh, examples of people who had faith. And uh, his first example comes to us from Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of two brothers, one brother uh, primarily a man of faith, and the other brother who had no faith, it would appear. And uh, then the second example, so the first example, Genesis 4, is the story of, a, of one individual who was different from his brother. Genesis, his second example comes from Genesis chapter 5. It's the story of Enoch who's different from everyone else in his family tree and of course in Genesis 5 we're told that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So so now it's not just the difference between two individuals, now it's the difference between one individual and his entire family tree as Enoch stands out as a man who walks with God. And then when you come to Genesis chapter 6 which is his third example, it's the story of Noah. And this time, it's not just the difference between two brothers, not just the difference between one man and his family. Now it's the differences between one man and his family and the rest of the community, or if you like, the rest of the world. Noah, who stakes his life on the promise of God to send a flood and builds an ark in preparation for that flood. So, so you can see the momentum in the illustrations. They're not just randomly chosen. He he has a clear logic which he is following in these examples that he highlights for us. Now, what really struck me was that he is digging around in the Old Testament and he's giving us a sweep of history in the process as he gives us these examples of faith. So he begins in Genesis chapter 4 with the story of Abel who he seems to think is the first person of faith. Now, what struck me about that was that, you know, at the end of verse three, he was talking about creation, God making everything that is visible from what was invisible, or basically God making everything that is from nothing, and and God bringing into existence everything that we see around us. So you would have thought, wouldn't you, that, when he, when he was going to give us this list of examples of people who were full of faith, you would have thought, well, the person surely to begin with is Adam. Let's start with the first man, but he doesn't. He begins with Adam's son, Abel. And uh, that's where he begins with his series of illustrations. And it seems to me that he couldn't begin with Adam because Adam wasn't a person of faith. He was full of unbelief. He disbelieved what God had said and he ate the fruit that God said he shouldn't eat. And God told him if he ate the fruit, he would die. But he ignored God, disbelieved God, and followed and believed the lies of Satan. And he couldn't be held up as an example of faith. And so uh, the writer to the Hebrews had to begin with his son, Adam's son, Abel. I find that quite troubling and disturbing. Uh, I think you know, and I I was asking myself the question, when people start to look for examples of faith, could they ever begin with me? Could I ever be lifted up as an example of faith? Or, Or am I one of those people that would need to be bypassed? Didn't really believe in God and didn't really allow my belief in God to shape the way that I lived and didn't really live for the unseen, believing that you know, what we saw around us was only the tip of the iceberg and the, the rest of the iceberg was unseen under the water. And Was I living for eternity? Could I be lifted up as an example of somebody who lived with an eye for the other world? Well, that was Abel and it wasn't Adam. And that's a challenging thought for all of us. Well, let's turn to the story then for a few minutes of Cain and Abel. You'll know the story. We've read it. Adam and Eve had two sons. Um, Cain went, and Abel, came. went into the world of horticulture. He grew plants and grain and uh, food. Abel, it seems, was a shepherd and probably a hunter, so he didn't work with plants. He worked instead with animals. Both of them seem to have been religious to some extent. Uh, And when it came to the time for worship, each of them brought an offering from their respective worlds, from the world of sheep and animals, and then from the world of the fields and the flocks. And it's interesting that God accepted Abel's offering, but God rejected Cain's offering. And as a result, Cain became angry uh, with first of all with his brother and then with God. Well, maybe first with God and then with his brother. He was really angry that his offering and he himself had not been accepted, but his brother's offering and his brother had been accepted by God. Now, in response to that, God was gracious with him. God could have thrown the book at him. God could have wiped the floor with him. But God was gracious with him and and began to reason with him. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? If you do what's right, you'll be accepted just like your brother. And if you don't do what is right, then you need to know this, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you and, and it will have you unless you overcome it. So God's graciously dealing with him in his anger, saying to him, why are you so angry? You know what you should do, and if you do it, you'll be accepted like your brother, but if you ignore uh, doing what is right, then sin will overcome you. But just as uh, Cain's parents were willingly talked into sinning and rebelling against God, so Cain, in similar fashion, fashion, was willing to be talked was not willing to be talked out of sinning and instead he went on and killed his brother in a fit of anger and jealousy and revenge and spite. Now, three things that I want to lift out of this text. I want us to think a little bit about the worship of Abel. I want us to think about the wisdom of Abel. And finally, I want us to think about the witness of Abel. So, those are the three things. So, first of all, a little bit about the worship of Abel as he brings this sacrifice or this offering to the Lord. Now, let let me just begin by saying that some of the most powerful forces in the world are invisible. You can't see them. You can only see their effects. The wind, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind as it blows the branches of the trees. You can't see electricity. But we know that something is powering the light bulb that we take for granted. We cannot see love, but we see the, the existence of love in the, the acts of commitment and tenderness and compassion that we see in. So when we watch some of these men in the church, like Sandy and the way he treats his wife, we know that he loves her in the way that he treats her. The same could be said of Tommy and all the other, other faces that I see on my screen. There's Graham too, the way he treats Nicola. So we know that there's love there, Um, by the way that, that these people behave. But you can't see the love. You can only see the evidence of the love. And I think that's what's at play in this story. You can't see faith, but you can see the evidence of faith. And we can't see Abel's faith, but we can see the evidence of Abel's faith in the offering that he brings to God. And we can see the lack of faith, I think, in the life of Cain, through the offering, in the offering that he brings. Now, two quick things uh, about their worship. First of all, the nature of the offering. So, faith then becomes evident in a life that's filled with devotion. So, you can't see faith. It's fine for the New Testament to tell us that the, the, the righteous will live by faith, but we can't see faith. All we can see is the evidence of faith. All all we can see is the devotion which faith gives rise to. Now, when it comes to Cain and Abel, there's no record of God telling them what kind of offering to bring. So God never said you should both bring an offering and it should be an animal offering or a blood offering. After God rejected the offering that Cain brought, however, Cain was angry and God said to him, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen if you do what is If you do well or if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. In other words, um, it seems to suggest that Cain knew what kind of an offering he should have brought. Now, there's a little bit of discussion about this. R.T. Kendall, uh, whose uh, boots I could never fill or shoes I could never fill, um, R.T. Kendall believes that... um, The difference between these two offerings was that Abel brought a blood offering and Cain brought a fruit offering. And the principle of the Bible is clear that without the shedding of blood there's no remission or there's no forgiveness. And we assume what that means is there's no forgiveness of sins. And so Abel brought an offering which was a blood offering and Cain brought a grain offering. And uh, R.T. Kendall feels that the only basis of our acceptance with God is is, is through the shedding of blood. Um, Now, I I think there's, an and of course, the shedding of the animal's blood in the Old Testament only prefigured the shedding of Christ's blood, which was the sacrifice that would atone for our sins. Um, But the animals prefigured that, and uh, so forgiveness was tied up with the shedding of blood. Now, my only difficulty with R.T. Kendall's interpretation of this text, it, there's, it, it is that in Scripture, it doesn't say that the boys were asked to bring an offering to atone for their sin. There were lots of offerings made to God, even at this point in history. And there's nothing in the text to say that God wouldn't have accepted a grain offering. Offerings were, ex, were, were offered, if you like, or sacrifices were made. Offerings were made as an expression, often not to atone for sin, but as an, as an expression of thanksgiving and worship. Offerings were made that revealed that we believe in God, that the people believed in God, and that they loved God, and that God was the centre of their being. And it seems to me that this is what was behind the offering of these two boys. This was an offering of that nature. It was a, an offering of thanksgiving and worship, and it was the outpouring of what was in their hearts. It was it was a token of what was going on inside them. I think that's the kind of offering that uh, these boys are offering. I don't think it was a sin offering and I don't think it was absolutely imperative that they brought a lamb and that it had to be a blood offering. And I'm happy for you to disagree with me. I've told you this often, but I have students who tell me on a regular daily basis that they disagree with me, and that's fine. I'm happy for people to think it through and come to different conclusions. But the question does arise for all of us, doesn't it? How do we express our thanksgiving? And how do we express our worship? And how do we express how much God means to us and God is worth to us? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God because in light of all that God has done for us, that's our reasonable service. Now, singing is an important part of worship, but worship involves more than singing. Our whole lives must be an act of worship. Through the things that we do, we show how much God means to us, how much God how much we value God, how much we want to honour God, and how much we want to express our gratitude to God. I often think of a a missionary called Bobby Moffat. He came from a village where my aunt and uncle lived, a village in the east of Scotland here called Ormiston. Some of you might have heard of it. And He attended church. He came from a poor family. When he attended church, the plate would often be passed around and he couldn't put money in it because he came from a poor family. But one day he got so frustrated that everyone else could put stuff in the plate and he could never put anything in the plate that he stopped the plate and he put it on the ground and he stood in it himself and he gave himself to God. And I think that's what we're called on to do when we're called to make an offering to God. We're called to, our lives are to be a token of what's going on in our hearts well, here's the second thing, not just the nature of the offering. I think the offering was a Thanksgiving worship offering. But we haven't quite touched on why Abel's offering was better than his brother's. Well, the clue, I think, is in Genesis 4, verse 4, when it says that Abel brought portions from the firstborn of his flock, or some of the, some of the translations have... He brought fat portions from the first of his flock. The writer to the Proverbs says in Proverbs 3 verse 9, honour the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Now, of course, Abel had never read Proverbs. He's among the first human beings on the face of the earth. But he brings the best that he has to God. God sees Abel's heart and he's pleased with his motives because God loves a cheerful giver. And it's interesting to notice uh, the descriptive phrases that are absent in that, that these descriptive phrases rather are absent in regard to Cain's offering. He didn't bring the first fruits. He just brings an offering. And I've no doubt that Cain's offering probably looked colorful. It was probably very presentable. Presentable, but it wasn't the first fruits. It wasn't the best that he had. It wasn't from a heart that said, All that I am and have is yours, Lord. So one brother offered the first fruits and the other brother brought an offering. One brother wanted to give God his best, but the other brother, who is full of wickedness and sin and jealousy, simply brings an offering to God and God neither accepted him nor his offering, because the offering stemmed and came from a wicked heart. John Calvin said of Abel, Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God because Abel himself was pleasing to God. Cain's offering was not pleasing to God because Cain wasn't pleasing to God. His, His heart was full of sin. And if the worshiper is not in a right relationship with God, then the worship will be unacceptable. Abel's heart's devoted and resting in the goodness of God, and it manifested itself in the offering that that he brought. But Cain is a very different kettle of fish. He's rotten to the core with jealousy and wickedness. And when he brings his offering, it comes from that kind of a heart, and it's not acceptable to God. You know, I think there's a great illustration of the difference between Cain and Abel in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Jesus went for supper to Simon the Pharisee's house, and a woman who had lived a sinful life heard that Jesus was there. And she stole in with a a box of ointment or perfume, and she poured it lovingly over the feet of Jesus. She washed his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. And it was an act of extravagant worship. If her ointment was was worth as much as Mary's ointment in John chapter 12, then it was worth a year's salary. And it was an expression of her gratitude for all that Jesus had done for her as Jesus forgave her sins. But Simon, the Pharisee who's in the house, said if he really was a holy man, he would have known that she was a sinful woman and he would have wanted nothing to do with her. But Jesus summed up the difference between Simon the Pharisee and this woman and probably between Cain and Abel when he said this to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I came to your home and you provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but but from the time I arrived, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it, Simon? She was forgiven many sins, and so she is very grateful. And if the forgiveness is minimal, then the gratitude will be minimal. It's possible for us to offer token worship, Worship that comes from a heart that's cold and from a life that doesn't back it up. A heart that's not really devoted to God. A heart that gives him the scraps and the leftovers. Cain simply brought an offering, but Abel brought the first fruits. Abel wanted to give the best that he had to God because God had his heart. Cain simply brought an offering because God didn't really have his heart. Cain, it seems, was unregenerate and wicked, but Abel was righteous by faith. Well, here's the second thing. It's this, um, not just the worship of these two boys, but let's think a little bit about the wisdom of these two boys. And first of all, um, the righteousness of Abel. It says in, in Hebrews 4, the second part of it, through it, that's through his faith. Abel was commended as a righteous man. By faith then, Abel was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his faith. I don't know how God spoke well of his faith. Uh, there is a tradition that when uh, Abel offered his gift to the Lord, that fire came and consumed the gift. Martin Luther and John Owen seem to think that these traditions were true and and there are occasions in scripture where that happened fire came and consumed the gift so Leviticus 9 23 24 Moses and and Aaron are offering a a gift on the burnt a burnt offering and fire comes and consumes it or in the story of Gideon you remember that Judges 6 21 He makes this meal for the angel and he sets it on the rock and the angel touches it with the staff in his hand and it's consumed with fire. But there's no real record of that happening in Genesis chapter 4 and it seems to me to be reading into the story something that's not quite there. But it doesn't matter how he was commended. All that matters is that he was commended by God for his faith and Through faith, he was counted righteous. And the faith that Abel possessed expressed itself in the offering that he brought. And uh, it was through the faith which he expressed that he brought this offering. And through faith, he was counted as righteous. Now, these Old Testament believers had put their faith in the promise that was given to Adam and Eve that through their descendants would come one who would crush the head of the serpent. And these Old Testament believers were clinging by faith to those promises. They believed in God. They believed in the provision of God. They believed in the promises of God. And on the basis of their faith and through faith, they were counted as righteous. Now, we've seen that promise fulfilled. We've seen the one who came and crushed the head of the serpent. And it's through faith in the one who fulfilled these promises that we are made righteous. And, you know, I I often think it's an overwhelming thing to be counted righteous in God's sight on the simple basis of faith, simply through putting faith in Christ and trusting that what he did was enough and to be regarded and counted as absolutely righteous. It's staggering, absolutely staggering, the grace of God, overwhelming. That on the basis of grace and through faith, we can be counted as righteous. Well, Abel was counted as righteous through faith. But what about Cain? God rejected his offering and he was furious. God pleads with him and says, why are you so sad? If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. And Cain could have still gone and done what was right, but he rejected the promptings of God. And instead of doing what was right, he went out and slew his brother in anger. Sin really was crouching at his door, waiting to sink its teeth into him and destroy him. He was angry that his offering had been rejected. He'd been exposed. His brother's faith and his brother's devotion had left his lack of faith and his lack of devotion all too obvious. And he was, he was enraged by his exposure, and he went out and he slew his brother. Instead of slaying sin, he slew his brother. What an angry, horrible person Cain ended up being. And there's a lesson there, isn't there? None of us know where sin will lead. Sin usually takes people further than they want to go. And it usually keeps them there longer than they want to stay. Ask people who are trapped in a life that they seem unable to escape from. And they'll tell you that sin takes you further than you want to go. And it keeps you far longer than you want to stay. And the writer to the Hebrews has spoken about people like this in in the letter that he has written. People who willfully sin against the knowledge that they have received. And he says to them, if you willfully sin against the knowledge that you have received, there is no uh, other sacrifice for sins. If you turn your back on Christ and you walk away from Christ, having received the knowledge that only Christ can save, there's no other sacrifice that can save you. And, And this story plays into that narrative because that's exactly what Cain did. He turned his back on the promptings of God and went out and slew his brother. Now, what's tragic about these two boys is that they had the same parents and they grew up in the same family. They had the same parental influences, but they went in very different directions. And it reminds us, doesn't it, there's only so much that we can do for our children. There comes a point when it's between them and God, and we must stand back and really all that we can do is pray These boys were exposed to the same tragedies. Both of them lived under the shadow of the fall and learned from their parents all that had happened in regard to the fall. But here is the interesting thing. One of them rose above his background and the tragedy of the fall and being driven from the Garden of Eden to become a man of faith. The other boy allowed his background to overcome him. So instead of overcoming his background, he allowed his background to overcome him. Now, background and circumstances are big things, and I don't want to minimize them. Some of us have had an easy life. Others have had a very difficult life from the moment that they were born, as they were born into very difficult circumstances. But all I want to say is this, background and circumstances don't have to be everything. Here are two boys who had the same background, but one of them clings by faith to God and his promises, and the other becomes a murderer. And if Abel could, by God's grace, overcome his background and become a person of faith, who believed in God, and who allowed that belief in God to shape his entire life, and who believed in the promises of God, if Abel could overcome his background to become a person of faith, then so can you and I. Faith in Christ can define you. You don't have to allow your background to define you forever. Faith in Christ and belief in God can shape you. Well, here's the last thing. It's the witness of Abel. So that the writer to the Hebrews says, by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, two quick things about that and then I'm finished. The silence of his witness and secondly, the strength of his witness, the silence of his witness, he still speaks. There's actually no record anywhere of Abel speaking about his faith or about his acceptance by God. It seems just a silent testimony, His the silent testimony of the offering that he brought to God in the eyes of his brother is all that we have in scripture. We don't have any big long sermons. We don't have any big long speeches. All we have is a silent testimony of a boy who believed in God and who allowed that belief to shape him and whose heart was won by God and, and who was devoted to God and expressed that in bringing the best that he had in an offering to God. And that silent testimony that silent witness enraged his brother. Now, I don't think Abel even knew how enraged his brother was because I don't think he would have gone out into the field with his brother if he knew that Cain was absolutely mad with him and hated the fact that he had been accepted and that Cain hadn't been. Would, would you have gone out with, a, with your brother into the field knowing that he absolutely hated you and was fuming on the inside with rage against you? I, I don't think so. I think he spoke simply by his testimony. It was the witness of what he had done that spoke. And that reminds us that uh, I think it was Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel always and use words if you have to. Now, I think that statement's flawed actually. The gospel, you need to give voice to the gospel. You need to explain what the gospel is. Of course you do, but there is some truth in it that we should preach the gospel always by the life that we live. And I think that's true of the silent witness of Abel. I don't think there was any big sermon. I think he simply preached through the life and the that he lived and the offering uh, that he made. I heard about one uh, person who was going out with an older man to do street evangelism and they walked through the city and uh, then they walked back again and and the young man said to the older man I thought we were going out into the open air to preach and the old man turned to the young man and said we just did we just did by the way that we walked through the city now I think it takes more than that, of course it takes more than that, but there is something to it, the silent witness of Abel, no strong words, just a silent testimony, but it's the strength of his testimony that strikes me. It says, although he's dead, he still speaks. Now, Cain might have thought that he had got rid of his brother for good when he killed him. He thought no one saw him kill his brother and no one would ever find out what he had done. But the blood-stained ground cried out to God for vengeance. Abel still spoke, even though he was dead. Not only did the ground, did Abel's blood speak out from the ground, but here in Hebrews chapter 11, the story of Abel is still preaching to many as they read this chapter of somebody who was devoted to God, somebody whose entire life was shaped by his belief in God and his belief in the promises of God, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. I wonder, m- many, many years from now, when our children and our grandchildren, and our, or maybe our nieces and nephews, our great nieces and our great nephews, begin to speak about us, Uncle Robert or Grandad Robert or... You know, or Auntie Lorraine, or Uncle Sandy, or as as our memory is ref, is recalled, I I wonder will they say? And they were people of faith. So even though we're dead, will our testimony speak on? Will our testimony speak on in the way that Abel's testimony spoke on? Even though he's dead, his testimony speaks on because. The life that we lived and the things that we did spoke for themselves of the fact that we believed in God. And that belief in God shaped us. And we refused to go back. Instead, we pressed on to a city whose builder and maker was God. My grandparents are now in heaven. And I was thinking about them just yesterday because I drove through Wallyford, where they uh, used to attend little meetings on the edge of Musselburgh and. I was thinking about them. They are dead and they're in heaven worshipping now, but their testimony speaks on to their family because they believed in God and they believed in in, in, in the provision of God in Christ and they allowed that to shape them, everything that they did. And they gave themselves unreservedly to God and their testimony still speaks on. And I wonder if that will be true for us. So there it is. We thought a little bit about the worship of Abel and the worship of Cain. Two different boys, two very different boys, brought different offerings. One was the best that he had, the first fruits. The other simply seems to have brought an offering. And God accepted one offering and not another because one offering was made by a a boy whose heart was full of faith. And the other offering was made by a boy whose heart was full of jealousy and wickedness. And it's not just the offering, it's the life behind the offering that counts. And we thought a little bit about the wisdom of Abel. Abel was counted righteous through faith. What an incredible thing. But the other boy was rejected. The other boy's offering was rejected, rejected by God. What an awful thing to be rejected by God. But what an overwhelming thing, don't you think? To be declared righteous through faith, accepted in the beloved, through a simple act of faith. We're counted righteous in God's sight and fit for heaven. Isn't that absolutely staggering? They looked forward. We look back to what Christ has done. But through faith, we can be fitted for heaven. And finally, uh, we thought a little bit about the witness of Abel. He's dead, but the ground still spoke. His blood still spoke from the ground, and he still speaks to us from the pages of Scripture. He's dead, but he continues to speak. And, you know, many of us have heavy hearts for our children, and as we near the end of life, we think, well, we haven't seen them converted yet, and we haven't seen them going on with God yet. But here's a little crumb of encouragement to take with you into the rest of the week, Your testimony can speak long after you've died. Your testimony can speak long after you've gone to heaven. Many, many years from now, some of them might sit down and begin to think about you, and maybe their mum or dad will tell them about you and say, and you know, they loved God and they believed the promises of God and they believed, they trusted in the provision of God in Christ and it shaped them. They were all about faith. And uh, maybe we too should follow their example and put our faith and trust in their Savior and follow their God. Wouldn't that be an incredible answer to prayer for us? So there it is, the three things. Just a prayer, and then I'm going to hand back to, to Graham. Lord, thank you for Abel, and thank you for this uh, for, for the heart that he possessed, for the faith that he received, and for the offering that he made, which came out of a heart that was full of faith. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll give us that kind of faith. And when you come and speak to us and prompt us about stuff that we need to put right in our lives, help us, Lord, to slay that sin and not to slay others. Help us to deal with the sin in our hearts and to do something about it. And give us the faith we pray of Abel and save us. We pray from the sins of Cain. And Lord, use our witness and use our testimony. We pray in the lives of the people that are dear to us and mean a lot to us. Continue to speak. We pray through our silent testimony. Sometimes, Lord, we haven't been as outspoken as we should have been. We could have said infinitely more than we did, but we thank you that it was the silent silent witness of this man's testimony that spoke and still speaks, and we pray that that will be true of us. And uh, help us to know that we're writing a gospel chapter each day by the things that we do and the things that we say. Help us, Lord, to reflect on the fact that people see what we hear, what we say, and they see what we do. And uh, help us to think about what the gospel is according to us. So bless us, we pray, as we sing uh, our final praise to you. And we offer you our worship. Lord, this is part of our worship, singing. And help us, Lord, to remember that our worship continues. When we finish singing, we go out into the rest of the day and the rest of the week help us to realize that lord that that too is our worship as we declare to others as they watch us how much you mean to us and how uh, of great value you are so help us we humbly pray and we ask this in jesus name amen